0: This is Kari Gale.
1: And this is Tony Kritz.
0: Welcome to the Pilgrim Loss Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. <laughs> Good morning, Tony. It's so lovely to see your smiling face on this hey. very sunny day.
1: It is beautiful. Portland is so gorgeous right now. I am beside myself. It is so great. The walking is great, the kayaking is great. Great, great, great. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful.
0: I'm I'm well um, well it's I feel like it's been overdue. We've needed this. Uh, everyone in the city has needed this and we have I think a whole stretch of like a the whole weekend's going to be this beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Hey, you've got um you've got a um a watercolor seminar coming up.
0: I do. I love how you call it a seminar. That makes me think of uh, like me in front of a room, very um a, a
1: community engagement experience.
0: <laughs> I just call it a workshop. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually having my April workshop coming up this next weekend, which is full. I'm super excited about that. I just put together all the kits and sent them out uh, yesterday and um, opened up registration for my May workshop, which is May 22nd. So I'm super excited about that. And if any of our community is interested, you can go to my website at carigale.com and check that out. I'd love to have you there. Uh, yeah. I'm just a excited. reminder, this is...
1: This is both for like travel art and travel journal art, but it's also like personal enrichment art. So um, there's a lot of motivations to get involved and to go and it's worth your time. Um, Hey.
0: Really really for just a, a last little note, it really is for any skill level. So if you've never touched a watercolor brush before, you are totally welcome and this is the place for you, so.
1: Awesome. Hey, um, before we get bring in our guest today, which I have been literally, literally counting days for this particular guest, before we go there, I have a little story for you.
0: Okay, tell me. Okay, I'm always so, excited to hear your stories.
1: <laughs> so on Tuesday, um, a buddy of mine, Phil, we bought these two vintage kayaks up in Lyle, Washington. So we drove up to Lyle, got these two vintage kayaks, one for each of us. They're beautiful. Um, load them on my car. we're driving home like the hour and a half to drive home. So when we're pulling off a of highway 14 onto 205, like I have to get over, but the um, there's like a hatchback behind the hatchback is like this like uh, like a rental truck kind of thing. and there's not there's not a lot of room, you know just barely enough room. So I move my car over. I wish there was more space, but they're not making room for me, whatever. I move over. We get onto 205. we're going over the 205 bridge into Oregon. And I'm just driving and the guy in the rental truck is coming up behind me and he pulls up alongside on the driver's side, right? I am i don't think twice about it. I'm just driving down the road. And then Phil says to me, that guy just flipped you off. Oh. And uh, at this point, the rental truck's pulled forward. So I'm like, no. So I pull up next to him. I, I look into the driver's side and he's staring at me and he's gesticulating. And I'm like, oh, no, you did not. And then he pulls forward again. And I'm sitting in a car and my tendency is always to do the dramatic in any of these circumstances. But um, I have this thing, this moment that I cannot explain. I don't know where it came from, but this thought jumps into my brain. What if he is just a good guy? Hmm. And I was like, okay. So I roll down my window and I pull up alongside of him. And as soon as, He sees my windows down. He puts his window down and he leans over and he goes, one of the straps on your kayak is loose. (gasps) He hadn't been flipping me off at all. He'd been doing this. He'd been going top of the roof. But my friend saw it, thought he was going, you know, flip you off, whatever. Oh, my God. um, And I pull up and he's just, he's just like, he's waving. He's really sweet. And then he pulls off down the road. And the whole thing got completely reversed. And I'm convinced a part of it was because of our last podcast and talking about this suspicious culture and the assumption that people have got a bad agenda. Yeah. And I, it was really, really this really great redemptive sort of moment.
0: Oh, I love it. And weren't you in that moment just so glad that you hadn't gone that route?
1: I know, because I know? totally like elevated it. What if I had gone up and just assumed and you know yelled at him or something? But, you know, pe- pe- maybe they're just, maybe he's just a good guy. Maybe I they're just that. a good person, you know? Mm. So anyway, that was a little application to our last episode of the podcast and this suspicious culture. And um, I wrote a and, little bit about that. And your blog as well. Blog. And it really,
0: yeah. I just want to just encourage everyone who hasn't had a chance to go check that blog out. It, it follows that same pattern and how we engage and engaging here in COVID with masks on and how we do this in a way that feels intentional so
1: yeah well i think with no more further ado we need to bring on today's guest
0: who is another good guy
1: a good guy quite 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 a, quite a good fellow actually and uh <laughs> our uh, our guest today is michael turner michael is husband to julie and father to two good-looking boys And uh, He lives in Boise, Idaho, and Michael and I met in fall of 1988, back at the Oregon State University as college freshmen, and
2: I'm so glad you're here. Michael, welcome to Pilgrim Lost. Thank you so much. What a great chance to be here after listening to you both.
1: Oh, so nice for you to listen. (laughs)
0: 1988 that's a I long time ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was oh, the time me. of George Michael
2: and yes. it was, it <laughs> was good times. Oh, the Smiths. Let's see who else. Oh, there was a great recording by Billy, Millie Vanilli or somebody <laughs> like that. Then too, wasn't it? Yes. So, yeah. Something about rain. <laughs> something, yeah,
0: blame it on the rain boys. It was blaming on the rain.
2: That's, I thought that song was written for Portland, Oregon.
1: Well, okay. So, uh, the reason we're bringing you on is there's this uh, there's this movie called I'll Push You that we've been talking about a little bit that you actually had a chance to participate in. So we want to kind of get in. You ready to get into that, Kari? Well,
0: I actually before we do that, I I want to actually find out what Tony was like in college because you were the first person that I've got a chance to talk to actually knew him back then.
2: <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I clearly you didn't uh, tell Tony you were going to ask me that question or he like, <laughs> contacted me and bought me off or something. I know. Um, he is um, he's genuine through and through. Um, what I love about him is he is, um, into making a great time um, of of whatever you're doing and enjoying the moment. Um, I always remember that about Tony. And um, actually, uh, I think we maybe had more people from the University of Oregon land in Eugene uh, at Oregon State in our house than we did from any other city in the state. Um, so uh, there was a lot of people that knew Tony and my wife. In fact, they knew each other before, uh, before uh, I knew either yeah, of them. His wife is one of my one of my childhood mates. Oh, so he's fun loving, um, a deep thinker as, as he shows on this podcast and, uh, just really, um, someone that, um, appreciates, um, others appreciates people other than himself. Uh, and, and I just love that about him.
0: Mm. Did he always break into song back then?
2: He did. um, But, you know, we broke into other people's houses and, you know, (laughs) all the shenanigans that you do as college mates. And um, I don't know, I think taking the furniture from the girl's house was one of the things. And I think one time we reset the living room furniture with the dining room furniture at Azalea House, if I remember right, too. So a few things like that. Nice. Um, But you know what I remember most about Tony? was um, this story. Let's see if you remember this one, Tony. Um, Back in 1988, the fall, there had been an incident with laser tag guns that summer. And KB Toy and Hobby, was that the store back then? Something like that. And these all went on sale because there was no red tips on on the tops of those guns and someone had actually pointed it the wrong direction. And they realized toys need to have red tips on the on the guns. Well, they went on sale like, you know, 90% off and uh, Tony and I can't remember who the other person was, but I think it was you Tony who said, hey, we're making a road trip to Eugene to KB Toy and Hobby, and we're going to buy laser tag and we live in the house with I think 48 guys. And um, I think we bought 40 laser tag guns. And it's still amazing to me to this day that no one fell off the third story roof as we ran around avoiding each other um, playing laser tag uh, like crazy. We people. were basically living diehard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for one, was Hans Gruber. I want,
1: I
0: want <laughs> Did to you have that the that. accent?
1: I can't do German.
0: <laughs> okay, never mind. All
1: right. Thank you. That's that's a very sweet walk down memory lane. Let's make sure we erase <laughs> that portion of the podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's there's a story called "I'll Push You" and um, Michael. It's about you. it's about your friends and it's about you, uh, Justin and Patrick. And Justin, when he was an adult, was diagnosed with a um, debilitating disease where basically his immune system attacked his nervous system slowly taking the use of his arms and his legs and eventually reducing him to to being in a wheelchair pretty much all the time. But um, he and his friend Patrick wanted to walk the community Santiago, which obviously is one of the big themes of this podcast. They made a documentary about it, about this friend who pushed his other friend who was unable to walk the 500 miles from St. Jean Pied de port to um, Santiago de Compostela and you and your son, Matthew had a chance to go over and be one of the pushers for a period of that time. Is that, is that generally
2: the, the scope In, of the story? Indeed we did. And, um, I am so glad as I was, uh, thinking about people t- tend to ask me, how did you guys get involved? And, um, we, we got to know Patrick in 2003, Patrick and his wife and, and myself and my wife, Julie, uh, got to know them and started hanging out. And um, we when um, Kirsten and Justin moved to, uh, to Idaho, to Boise in 2013, I believe it was, we kind of got to know them all as couples. And when Justin had this idea and had started planning it, I kind of was like, wow, that's pretty exciting. That, that's a cool idea. And the other thing was, um, you know, I had my son uh, who was uh, 15 at the time. And one of the things that was important to me was really to launch him into life, knowing that he was ready to, to do great things and helping him be confident in doing things that would be valuable for him. And, um, I thought, what if we could combine these two things together? And I asked I asked Patrick and Justin, I said, "Hey, would you, are you open to me joining you for some portion of the Camino? I want to take my son and I want him to witness deep friendships. I want him to witness doing something that you just don't do every day. I want him to witness someone with a disability overcoming what, um might be something that many people wouldn't take on as a challenge. And then I want to take him on to London and I want him to experience traveling on his own, um, and being confident to do that as he, you know, moves from um, being a teenager into, you know, launching life on his own. So we asked, and Patrick said, you know what? we've thought about that and we think we'd love to have you join us.
1: It's great. It's great. Um, I'm just curious before we get into what it was like to witness Justin and Patrick's story, can you just kind of give us your reflections on the Camino itself? Just the experience of being there,
2: how, how you felt, like how it made you feel to be on the Camino? Yeah. Um, it, I think you have, you have talked on your podcast here of a Camino moment, Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of people have. And, um, what was interesting is, um, the, there was, I knew Justin and Patrick before we went. I knew their story. I was excited to be a part of that and witness that. Um, but I was also excited to just take part in this with my son and and just do that as well. And um, those things all happened. They were all great. Um, for me, what uh, stood out was the other people I met that the story, some of them are in the movie, some of them are in the book. But you met a lot of other people with just wonderful stories, and and um, that camaraderie uh, of being on a pilgrimage together just was was deep and and resetting in terms of what's important in life. So for me, it was um, it was the experience that many people talk about as they go on their own, even though I was a part of the story that they were filming. Um, and so I I absolutely enjoyed that part of it um the the chance to just experience that we didn't you know we we were uh there was a word they called the camino um people that started at um that do the less than full camino so at 102 miles i forget the name of the town i should know that but um you guys might remember
0: i always say it wrong and i speak spanish and so this is no unforgivable but i think it's saria yeah
2: Yep. yep. Saria. And you can start at Saria and still get your Compostela. And so we started just before that, but um, um, but we didn't do the whole thing, but it was still extremely meaningful. And one of my goals is to go back and do the Camino in my life. Uh, I'd love to take Julie. Um, so we should all schedule that.
0: I was just yeah. going to ask you, I it's interesting because in the, you know, so many people that you talk to there, was it was this one-time epic thing they were going to do. And then they get to the end and they maybe not right at the end, but in a few months, they're already dreaming about that next one. Do you, would you love to, would you like to go back and do the Frances or would you have your eyes on another, another route?
2: I, I would love to do the same route that uh, Justin and Patrick did just because of the movie and knowing they were there. Um, mm-hmm. So I would, I would love to do that, that trip, but I'd love to do that with my wife. As we went through that with my son, it was like, what a great moment just to reset. Um, and, you know, we're empty nesters this year, which is amazing, and so I'm kind of like, okay, when's the right time for the empty nesters to go back?
1: Nice, nice. And the closer you get to Santiago, the the busier the way becomes. And one of the sensations of the early parts of the of the way is there are times you go for hours, don't see a human being, uh, and it's it is something to behold for sure. So I hope you do get back. Well, tell us, about, tell us about your impressions of Justin's journey and um, his friendship with Patrick and also the other pilgrims along the way.
2: So we joined in at uh, Tri Castilla, which is about 120 miles, if I recall correctly, outside of Santiago. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, um, we were supposed to join them in... Um, a place just the stop just before Saria. Um, but we, because of their schedule and because of our schedule, um, we took a we took a right turn as we got on the train going from Barcelona to go up to meet them. And um, we hopped another train to go back further up the Camino and we're able to meet them at Tri Castella. And what was uh, great about that is um, we got to start. And I remember Patrick telling me this as I called him. And I said, hey, we're going to try to meet you there instead of the next stop. And uh, he goes, oh, great. You get to join us for Sobrero. And um, so it was purely kind of a last minute thing, but I believe very... Um, um, great, uh, just a great um, opportunity for us to join them for Sobrero. So
1: O Sobrero is one of the greatest ascents of the Camino. It's one. It's probably the second most complicated ascent. Long, hot, vertical, hot. So uh, super
0: tough super tough with and just for that one that to be person. your first
1: day. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. I'm thinking that cuz I A blessing I,
1: on your head, sir.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. What an indoctrination. I mean, I guess in some ways when you start out at Saint Jean, you're going up the Pyrenees, but uh, but I thought Ossebrare was way harder than the the Pyrenees. I did as too. far as just that day.
2: If you watch the documentary, um, the part on the Pyrenees that was really challenging for them was just how it was just really uh, Ted, uh, another friend of ours, and Patrick right. and Justin. Um, we had a little bit more help on O yeah, which is, you know, its own, own story in and of itself. But um, Can you tell yeah, that
1: story from your perspective?
2: Yeah, I, w- I would love to. So we got there. Um, my, my son and I got off the train took a took they said hey get on the other train that goes by in 30 minutes and then get off at this stop and then take a car and you can meet them in Tree Castilla. And so we got there I think at about 10 that night and um, lots of things that come to mind. One is just like we're here wow and so you, you know you've been anticipating this for so long and you go okay tomorrow's the day but it's kind of hard to sleep because you're kind of excited. And the other thing that happened that night um, was they had just been given by one of the um, one of the people that was in the movie, uh, Claudia, um, just an excerpt from her, uh, journal and thanking them for the experience that they had had a few days before. Right. And um, that's in chapter 17 of their book. And if I you just
1: read that this morning,
2: oh my goodness, uh, you just got to read that story from Claudia's journey and why she was on the Camino um, and what had happened there. And um, so they were like, Michael, you got to read this. This is just happened, just given to us tonight. So I'm just immediately in the middle of this very emotional and deep experience that someone's having because they're traveling with them. And Justin and Patrick are so much about helping other people that they were just kind of rejoicing that this great story had happened.
0: Hmm.
2: And uh, so then it's hit the hit the hay and try to get some sleep and um, get up the next morning and go. And so we left pretty early knowing Ocebrero was a long day um and we wake up and there's in the dark in the in the town square at tricostia there's three or four people that are waiting there for them and a couple of those people are featured in the documentary and we just start walking and what a beautiful morning walking out of Castilla over the nice little bridge along the river and then you start heading into the hills and um one of the things that justin and patrick are so good at is just saying hey, tell me your story. And so I was able to do that with a few of the pilgrims that were there that morning and get to know them and introducing my son, introducing myself, learning about them and just a fabulous time uh, walking up that morning. And then we kind of took a right turn and we were at a little town for um, a, a quick coffee and and a little breakfast um, which I guess is a tradition for a lot of people on the Camino. It is and- for Kari, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I've heard we always, say- had a,
0: we always had first breakfast and then second breakfast. So yeah, a, little bit, kind of- a little bit like the Hobbits. We always needed that second breakfast, man.
2: Well, you don't want to carry any more than you have to, so I, I can understand that. Yeah. And uh, so we met there, and it was just a few of us, and everybody was starting to talk about how challenging Osobrero was, um, as you mentioned earlier, Tony. And I'm, I'm a little getting a little nervous. I'm like, okay, there's about six of us here and this is getting more, more uh, you know, I'm getting a little more ominous. And then we stopped for lunch and this is in the, in the book as well as in the movie and Patrick and Justin had met some people, um, ironically enough, Boise um, residents that were on the Camino but actually live in Portland and um, Uh, one of them works at Portland state and, and so relationships had developed there and several other people. So we stopped for lunch and I'm like, okay, I, I could eat more than, you know, we had for breakfast and lunch and, um, we get ready to go and thank goodness, most of the small little, uh, the, the people at the bar, the restaurant there stood up with us to go and we took off and I you know I kind of went oh goodness this is going to be better than I expected in terms of having some help but just a group of people that had seen Justin and Patrick over the previous probably 25 days and said hey we'll meet you at the bottom of Osobrero we'd love to help and it was just a great story getting there and then of course Justin in his um, love for adventure as we got to the part where it says you can turn right and go up the trail which is a shorter distance, but it's a trail and a hike um, truly in the mountains versus taking the road up. Justin said, why don't we take the trail? And (laughs) wow, there we go. Um, Little did I know how long that trail would last or how glad I was that all those people jumped up with us.
0: So all those folks, they, 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 this wasn't something you didn't have to go around and say, Hey, will you help? Or they just, they just stood up on their own volition. Like, Hey, we want to be part of this. We want to help
2: yeah they had actually and i don't even know that they had told patrick and justin this but they did keep in touch and they had kind of said hey we're all going to meet at the town right before you head up the trail and we'd like to make sure we help them so they get up that trail knowing you know the reputation of osabrero as you mentioned earlier
1: each one of these people has probably spent six months to a year planning this trip planning every detail of it. It's going to be their great adventure for them to have their experiences and them to do what they want to do and for them to deal with their own body and their own pace so that they arrive in Santiago on the day they plan to arrive there and then they all went, I'm just going to put all those plans aside. I'm going to readjust my expectations. I'm going to readjust my schedule. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my love. I'm going to give my strength
2: to strangers. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's, uh, that was, that was great about it. Um, and, you know, the uh, the, the Camino is kind of has a reputation of this solitary journey of self-reflection and self-healing. And yet what struck me over the time that I was there is how much everyone wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I mm. think that's what motivated them to say this would probably make a difference for the documentary. Um, there wasn't anybody that said, let me in the camera. It was simply, we just wanna make sure they make it up the top there. Um, in fact, in the in the video, what one funny story is as we took the right turn to go up the trail, um, one of the um, local police had met us there and he tried to talk Justin out of going that way. <laughs> And he said, you know, he was uh, trying to use hand motions and as much Spanish that we could understand, as well as some of the English words, you know, that uh, that's probably not a good idea. And um, and Justin said, let's go anyway. And uh, we took off and went up that. And um, the same policeman met us at the top as we emerged from the trail and got onto the road that went maybe the last mile and a half into into Osobrero, the town. And he, um, he wanted to help push and, and he basically gave us a lighted escort to join uh, or to get up the rest of the hill. Um, and then he snuck in the picture with us at the top of the hill. It's <laughs> a pretty uh, famous picture. It's my background on my screen here.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Because that is a detail that isn't explained in the film. Like, Why is there an orange cop car? Follow, following Justin like what's going on so thank you for, for that's an exclusive everybody right here on Pilgrim Lost that's right. why is there an orange cop car in the O Sobrero section I think
2: Justin <laughs> calls it his lighted escort to make I it love deep. it
1: what um you know some of that commentary about community and being mm. for each other and being a part of something larger Michael any thoughts on just what are the implications of that for for all of us for life back at home living in you know you know normal town america
2: any thoughts on on community generally well um ironically enough um we took um we took uh 17 people to walla walla wine tasting last weekend um, of which justin and patrick and their wives as well as five other couples Um, went with us and um, we continue to walk the journey together and this is something that um, uh, I started enjoying frankly uh, Tony when you and I met at at Varsity House at OSU just the depth of relationships that we can have Um, and you know some of those um, individuals some of those people Troy and Aaron to this day you know we stay in uh, pretty tight contact with one another checking in but relative to our friend group over here, we kind of go on that journey together, um, even though we're not on the Camino de Santiago. So um, you've, used, you've used the word um, beauty in the mundane, or that's one of the quotes you've said on this podcast that I love. And not that Justin and Patrick are by any means mundane, but I think the fact is we get in our busy lives, and this is very true for me, busy life, Um, enjoying working in the business world, um, enjoying um, just searching after those things that sometimes may keep us busier than we need to be and not enjoying the mundane. So uh, this group of people has been great for me to learn to slow down and enjoy the journey versus just trying to get to a destination. And I think the same thing for me happened on the Camino. It's it's how do you have um, enjoy the day that's at hand, whether it's the first coffee or second coffee, or, or breakfast, um, or whether it's the uh, pilgrim dinner at the end, or whether it's um, getting close to someone that's been there with you, walking by you, and saying, "What's your story, and why are you here?"
0: I really right. think that that idea of uh, being in the moment was so profound on the Camino because, you know, for for the days walking, you really had to focus. And I'm sure with Justin and Patrick and supporting them, that was even, you know, to the nth degree that you couldn't think about, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? You really had to just be right there. And whatever that emotion was hard or jubilant or whatever you were experiencing, you had to stay in the moment to be, to be with them to be with and to be with your son and have your experience and I think regardless of what type of Camino you have I think that is something common to everyone that they for me the for the very first time really being able to say I am being in the present moment rather than you know the past thinking about the past or worrying about the future mm-hmm. and although yes Justin and Patrick's Camino and therefore your Camino were had to be highly planned to enable it to happen. It's still at the, at the base of it, you had to be in that moment. And, and that's, that's a a magical thing for our brains. I mean, yep. everybody is talking about how do we do this? And so I think that's why people want to go back and, you know, you, you reminiscing with your friends and going back into that moment is so important.
2: Very true. And, um, for me, um, while they had it planned to a certain extent, um, the documentary shows this, all the the unexpected um, issues that happen, right? The front of your wheelchair breaking off, uh, different weather, taking a wrong turn, all of those things, um, you know, it's kind of like, hey, is the issue that the wheel broke off or that in life wheels break off and we have to learn how to be in the moment. And work through those things, um, and for me, that's just a mind-blowing, you know, change of view. Where I, I've, um, I've, my personality type is I like to have things in order. I like to be able to say, "This is what we're going to do, then, then next, then next, and if we do all that, we'll accomplish our goals." And uh, to to really just say, "Hey." we're going to be able to be ready for whatever is thrown in our way today and enjoy the moment while we go through that. Um, What a much better lifestyle that is Um, and more meaningful, not just to my own peace of mind, but more meaningful to those around you. If you still stop and say, what's your story and how can I help you? It's great.
0: And I'm sure for your son to impart that, to have him experience that at such a young age, that was something that I I mean, I wish that I had really engaged in that way of thinking, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I think if he can take that piece with him from the Camino, that will be amazing for his entire, you know, life. Hmm.
2: I've, um, ia w- few things that stand out on my trip with my son for the Camino one is he started as Michael's son and he ended as Matthew, the fellow pilgrim, um, hmm. nice. And it was, it was really um, just an opportunity for me to um, allow him to have his own, you know, his own name, his own uh, part of the role on the team. Um, I think he pushed or pulled as much or more than I did because I didn't prepare physically enough. Even I was like, Hey, eight days, 120 miles. I road cycle once in a while. We'll be all right. And, uh, I would not have made it 500 miles. Um, but, uh, the 120 was just the right amount. And, and he was my, my son's a cross country runner and in very good shape. So he was a blessing to really help us through, um, getting through the home stretch. And then, um, you know, so he became his own person. He was physically a help. Um, and then, you know, he developed, um, we went up to London afterwards, and I know this isn't Camino centric, but one of the big opportunities for me is I wanted my son to feel like he could navigate through a large international city um, without my help if he decided um, to study overseas or have a job overseas or just even travel on his own or with friends, that he was confident in doing that. And so those were really highlights for me. Um, I also took him letters, um, and so um, I, I'm not sure he still has these. Even though at the time he said they were not not the best part of the Camino for him, but I had letters from good friends of mine, and and some grandparents, and some of his coaches or leaders, and I said, would you write a letter to Matthew that talks about? You know, important things for him to think about as he becomes a man and qualities that you see in him that um are just wonderful and reinforce and reinstill confidence in him. And so I read one of those every night. And um, wow, you know, try to read letters to your son by friends that you have such respect for and relatives you have such respect for, and them investing in, in your son that way. It was it's hard for me to have a dry eye while I read those to him. Um he said dad that wasn't the favorite part and I'm like but do you still have the letters and he said yes I do.
1: Any other thoughts about ways you've brought the Camino home how how it affects your everyday life you know we talk about we're inspired by the community of Santiago but focused on the everyday how do we li- how do we live as pilgrims every day any more thoughts on that
2: Um, wow. And this is my, this is an Achilles heel for me, or it's a weakness of mine because I, my personality is let's go, let's accomplish, let's compete. Um, let's go win. Um, and, um, I like that. And, and there's some personality traits about that that are good, but, um, there's also outcomes of that personality that are really bad and, and you miss out on so much. So I try Um, I try to ask people, what's your story? That's a very common question for me is what's your story? Tell me. And you don't know how many people look at me like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, just tell me whatever you want to tell me about yourself. Um, And it gives a chance to learn about them, get outside of yourself, understand, um, and really just, just learn wisdom from other people and understand how you can help. Julie and I moved this last year to really try to simplify our lives in, uh, in becoming empty nesters. And we now live, um, we live in a smaller condo along the Boise River. And so we spend a lot of time walking the Greenbelt. and um, the people that I get to meet on the Greenbelt, and it forces me to kind of enter in or say, oh, I should stop and ask that person how they are or what's their story, and um, it's been really fun. I keep, I try to keep a list of people that, Tony, as you call them, and I've started to call them people that live outside, that I know their name, and I can wave at them when I see them, and I can ask them what help they might need and just um, um, ask them, what would you, I, I love to work with Young Life students in, in uh, uh, middle school and high school, and we, we support that group over here. And I say, so if I was to talk with students in middle school or high school, what advice would you give them? And it's amazing the things you hear come out of people's mouths. Um, And so it's it's just a great opportunity to get outside yourself. And I try to do that. Don't do it enough. There'll be some that watch this and go, Michael, you didn't do that to me. Uh, I felt left (laughs) out of that. I'm sorry. I'm getting better uh, the older I get. It's great.
0: Well, I, th- I think that question is also so much more meaningful. We're so used to hearing what do you do? Yeah. And to have that invitation is is important. And I think, you know, I think I've, I've wanted to foster and cultivate that in myself. So I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> I like that. What's your story?
2: One of the key things for me that I've learned is I've, I've, I operate a, a weakness is I operate out of the mentality of, uh, I did, um, and I still do sometimes, but less so. Um, but I am what I do. And that's a false, false, uh, statement that rules my behavior sometimes. And, uh, when I've gotten outside of, I am not what I do, uh, or what I achieve, or, um, it becomes a much more interesting life. So. Mm.
1: would you say I am who, who I share life with, or I am whom I'm with
2: Yes. Um, And you know, one of, um, there's a lady named Stacy that's helped me over the last couple of years. And she challenged me with um, the phrase of how do you want to show up today? And um, think about how you want to show up. If you ever read Stephen Covey, he would have said, write your epitaph and think about how you show up and how that's going to reinforce what you want to be on your epitaph versus uh, what you know what is actually what you're actually doing that might be there it's great
1: michael this has been a thrill uh it's thrill because you're my old friend but it's also just a thrill because your life is valuable and worthy and worth sharing and you have given us a treasure today i just want you to know how much we appreciate it um car do you have any closing thoughts
0: no, I just, I, I so appreciate you sharing your story and, and um, I'm excited to, to share some links of some of the things that you were talking to us about earlier and um, just appreciate your time.
2: All righty. Thank you, you so much. It's been a great to be here live with you. And as a, as a regular listener, I love what you guys are doing. The, uh, the idea that we can bring the Camino home with us. Um, and what does that mean is, um, that's a, that's a good thing to think about.
1: All right, buddy. Thanks for getting lost with us.
2: Happy to have a great day. Bye.
0: Thank you for walking with us to stay connected. Visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share and respond.